in the not-too-distant future, and it's it's about the time that I would just mention to you if there's a book or a topic that you have interest in, if you would write me a note, please, and put it in my mailbox. I do not wish to be neglectful of that. I have a couple of ideas of that I'm thinking about, but I would welcome your input. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and stand, please. And as you're doing that, I, I have been remiss to mention two things to you that I've been meaning to do for a couple of weeks. One, and um, I talked to uh, Bill Hughes this week, and I've talked to Bill a couple of times. He's called me uh, a couple of times, and uh, he's doing better. They're, the plan is for them to be back in the area at the end of the month, and that's very good news for them. They're Bill's certainly excited about that, so he sends his greetings uh, to you and asks, of course, that you continue to pray for him. Um, and also, I, a couple of weeks ago, somebody mentioned to me that they had spoken to Steve and Mary Anderson, and Steve is doing well. He has a cancer type of cancer that is treatable but not curable, and he's doing very well, and they're active in their church down in Texas, and they sent their greetings. And my apologies that I have not passed that along to you. And... Uh, <clears throat> So, appreciate the faithfulness of those folks for many years and their ministry to us, and look forward to seeing the Hughes again. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 6 are our passage for this morning. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. We're going to stop there this morning and let's pray. Father, I pray for your grace upon us that we would do these things which you have instructed that we would take them to heart as being in some ways at the very core of our Christian profession. And so I pray your help for us, not just in this moment, but in our lives of service to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. No more 
crystal fountain whence the healing stream or flow let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through strong Well, the 13th chapter of Hebrews comes as a bit of an abrupt surprise to us. In fact, if you go to the commentaries, they all universally note that there seems to be a complete change of direction and there's no, there's much conversation about what that means and how to interpret it to the point that some people actually argue that it comes as a later addition that somebody has added it. I do not think that that is the case at all. I think that the answer to that is much more simple and that, let me just take a moment to, to kind of remind you one of the ways that the Lord deals with us, particularly in the New Testament. And I'm perhaps a little more sensitive to this if I may talk about myself for a moment because I came out of a Bible college background that really held a very dim view of theology and that ridiculed those who studied it and who prided themselves on their practical application of Christianity. But when God talks to us, Anything that we do that would remotely be construed as practical, in other words, do this, it is always anchored in some theological point. Do it because of this, or do it for this reason. 
Not just simply do it because God said, because God has given us much more than here's a list of things to do and here's a list of things to not do. In some letters, Ephesians, Colossians, the book is about divided 50-50. theology, 50% application. In Hebrews, the ratio is considerably different. There have been 12 chapters that have been devoted to theology. Specifically to this theology. No matter what befalls you in this world, you need to cling fast to your profession in Jesus Christ. That is the evidence of true faith. Now, another one of the things that we don't really talk about much, that depending upon what your background is or what your church history is, seems to have no possibility of existing, is that people can make professions of faith that are not genuine. That they can make a claim that they believe something or that they believe in someone, but that that faith is not really there. Now, the Bible does admit to that. And this is one of the reasons that we have even a book like Hebrews. And these are people who have been exposed to persecution personally, and they are aware of others who are being persecuted. And it is obvious from the text of the book of Hebrews that this has shaken them. And that their experience as a Christian has caused them to question whether it is necessary for them to continue on in their Christianity. In their case, it appears that what they want to do is return to Judaism, which was relatively safe and tolerable in their world. I think the reality of the way it plays out in our world is that people just want to bail out of church and God. That if you were to ask them privately, do you believe these things? Oh, I absolutely believe them. I believe them. Well, is there any part of your life in which they are practiced? No, not anymore. You know, I've been around church a long time and I've had a lot of bad experiences at the hands of Christians. And so I just, you know, I know, I know that I should get back into church. And I know that I should get back into my Bible. And I, I know that I should do those things. But I don't. And the reality is for some of those people, they don't have any intention of ever going back to those things. Now, only the Lord knows what the true condition of that person is. But when the New Testament writers write about such people, they write about them with extreme caution. The theological section of the book ended with this observation, Hebrews chapter 12. And verse number 28, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, shaken is the idea. In a world that is shaken regularly, in lives that are shaken regularly, in lives for some of you, that not only is being shaken a possibility, but a present reality, your world is being rocked right now. 
are promises of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we have that kingdom because we have a Savior who has done all that is necessary and all that is required and all that is essential. And we are to believe Him and that belief is to look like this. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So here's the question. What does that look like? How will you do that? Or more pointedly and more importantly, what does that mean to the Lord? Because it is perhaps at this point, folks, that our American version of fundamental Christianity kicks in. And our solution to serving God reverentially and fearfully is to embark off on a a life of full-time vocational ministry. Everybody ought to be a preacher, and that is not true. Or every young lady ought to marry a preacher, and that is not true. Or everybody ought to be a missionary, and that is not true. Or everybody ought to sell all that they have and give it all away. That is not true. Or everybody ought to get plugged into a program, one of the programs of the church. Serve God with reverence and godly fear. There are Sunday school classes that need teachers. That may be true. But folks, I would just point out to you, whenever you read these kind of admonitions, any place that you find them in the New Testament, They are being written to people for whom church involvement and church life has almost no dimension of the programs that we insist upon bringing to Christianity. I'm not saying they're bad things. I'm just saying there's no place in the New Testament where you find those kinds of exhortations turned into teach Sunday school, sing in the choir, join the visitation program, Get on a bus route. Those just don't exist in the New Testament church economy. They could not possibly be in the minds of the New Testament church writers. So again, I come back to this. When our God tells us to serve Him with reverence and godly fear, what does He have in mind? And I would suggest to you folks that the answer to that in one simple sentence is this, chapter 13. If you want to know what it looks like, it looks a lot like chapter 13. Now chapter 13 has got a lot of things going on. But I think all of them fall under the mentality of serving our God faithfully, reverentially, Because of who he is. And many of those things, folks, do not really particularly seem to be at first glance the earth-shattering kind of things that we sometimes associate with Christian service. Do big things for God. I think they are big things. They're just not necessarily big things as men count 
big things. But I, but I, but I would point out to you folks, right? We, we want to remember a couple of strong undercurrents that are towing us along in the book of Hebrews. And the biggest one of this is, Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done. You're not going to add anything. Right? I'm not going to add anything to, the, to that mix, folks. No pastor is going to build a big enough, exciting enough, dynamic enough, influential enough ministry to add anything to this fundamental fact. Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done. He's got a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. It's all there. Just, just serve. Do your religious service reverentially. Do it with a view to being respectful to the Lord. He's a consuming fire. And so with that, holding fast our profession... Serving the Lord looks like this. Number one, Hebrews 13, 1. Let brotherly love continue. It is actually a command. We may not read the word let and think of it as a command, but it is an imperative. Brotherly love within the congregation should continue. Now again, folks, we want to remember the context of the book of Hebrews. These are people who are contemplating dispersing. This is one of the reasons that we have the admonition, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Some people have already done this. They've scattered. Let brotherly love continue. The book of Hebrews has already reminded us on a number of occasions that God's people are God's family. God's people are God's family. Hebrews 2.11, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, out of one, Christ of course, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Hebrews 2.17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Hebrews 3.1, Wherefore, since Jesus has made us all his family, Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Brethren, Hebrews 3.12. Brethren, Hebrews 10.19. Brethren, let brotherly love continue. And one of the ways that we demonstrate our love to God is by loving his people. Hebrews 6.10 For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. 
Let love for the brothers continue. Now we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna probe that a little bit more. Right? It would be wonderful if we all had warm, fuzzy feelings about each other and that this characterized every assembly of true believers, that they were all filled to the brim with warm and fuzzy feelings for each other. But that is not really at the heart of what God is commanding. But folks, I would just point out to you that one of the reasons this is put in here is because these people are thinking about turning away from that, and turning away from that is a very bad testimony and a very bad sign. And that no matter how discouraged or abused we might believe we have become at the hands of God's people, it speaks bad things about our own Christianity to wish to run away from them. We'll come back to Hebrews, but let me ask you if you would please to turn ahead to 1 John chapter 3. And verse number 10. Hebrew, or 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 10. In this the children of God are manifest. They are made visible. And the children of the devil, they are also made visible. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. This is not an incidental issue, folks. To reach a place where we despise Christians in general or any Christian in particular. It's not incidental. That can't be swept under the rug of being not a really big deal. When God is arguing that it is the biggest of deals. Don't be surprised if the world hates you because loving and hating is one of the manifestations of belief and unbelief. Or 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 7. Beloved, 
Let us love one another, for love is of God. Love comes out of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And then the critical verse number nine, folks, because we have insight as to what he means by love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. God loved the unlovable. Who, who among the brethren is unlovable to you? Well, love them. Do what is good for them. Do what is best for them if it comes at your own self-sacrifice. That's the command. That's what God did. God loved us when we were unlovable at great expense to himself. There's the metric. There's the standard. Chapter 4, verse number 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat Loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Again, folks, it would be wonderful if we all just had warm fuzzies toward each other the way that we do for our grandchildren. But God is looking at something that transcends just feelings of fondness, but that is activity that is directed to the benefit of others. So to go back to Hebrews, folks, let brotherly love continue. This is not simply an exhortation disconnected from the body of the text. As if all of a sudden the pastor, not knowing how to get out of the letter, begins now to give them some bullet points. But rather this, what does reverential, acceptable service to my God look like? It looks like loving God's people. Loving God's people because we love God and they are His people. Secondly, we are faithful to God. We serve God reverentially and fearfully, not only by loving the brethren. And I think, by the way, folks, if I may go back to point number one, I think that what the pastor has in mind there, primarily, I'm going to say that in light of because of what I'm about to say in verse number two, are those with whom we rub shoulders on a regular basis, right? We all know the joke, the old saw, right? I mean, it's just, it's just, right? To live below, you know, to, to, <clears throat> to live above with saints we love, well, that would be such glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's another story.
And by the way, if I may just point out, and I have no idea who, if anybody is watching the service or any of the services on live stream, I am glad for and a supporter of the ability to live stream and record. It's no substitute for church attendance. Never at any time is it a substitute for rubbing shoulders with God's people in a building. That's God's plan. So let brotherly love continue. Love the saints you know. Love the saints you know. We serve God reverentially and acceptably by being merciful to brothers and sisters we don't know. We don't know. Verse number two, be not forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Be not forgetful, verse number two. Remember, verse number three. To us, remembering means most simply the bringing of something to one's mind. But again, when the Bible uses the word, it generally has much more in mind than that. For instance, in Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 1, God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. When God remembered, God acted. Genesis 30, verse number 22, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. When God remembered, God acted. In the Bible, when a memory like this occurs, when we're giving that kind of instruction, remember, it doesn't just mean bring them to mind. It means bring them to mind and do something on their behalf. It may be to pray. It may be to give. It may be to help. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. And the word there is the word, of course, we talk about people who are xenophobic, afraid of strangers. We are supposed to be fond of strangers. In Romans 12, 13, the word is translated hospitality. And we know that, that there's, right, we know that there's kind of an immediate context there. there. There were not really a lot of holiday inns or Hampton inns in the biblical world. And when believers were going from place to place, they needed accommodation and lodging and food to eat. And this was usually done by somebody who put them up in their home. Strangers. They are brothers and sisters, but you don't really know them. So I think there's a principle that is being set forth in that. Not that you shouldn't be willing to open your home as necessary. But I think the principle is this, that we should be willing to use our resources to help other believers. Third John chapter 1, which of course is the only chapter, verse number 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. 
which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Third John 1 through chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, folks, is one of the great missionary passages of the New Testament. A defense of using our resources from our area to fund the advance of the gospel through another person in another area. That's what it is about. Remember to do this. Do not forget to do this. What does acceptable service look like? It looks like loving God's people. The people that you know, that you go to church with every week. It looks like loving God's people that you don't know very well, but are nevertheless in need. And, and, and the pastor points out that it may be that you have entertained an angel unaware, and I think that this harkens back to what he said about angels very early in the book, that they're all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who are heirs of salvation. The point is not, folks, that you get to see an angel, because if you look at the text carefully, it would point out that you may have seen an angel, but you didn't know they were an angel. The point is this, that we helped God's workers. What what does this look like? What does service look like? It looks like helping those who are advancing the work of God. And it looks like helping those who are suffering for the work of God. Verse number three, remember them that are in bonds. And again, we, we, we understand from, right, we, we don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to be inspired to be able to read between the lines of some of what's going on in the book of Hebrews that people have been oppressed and persecuted for the practice of their faith in Christ. They are viewed as criminals. By the way, we will eventually get to that later on in Hebrews chapter 13, right? Willingly stand up and take your places among God's criminals. And they were criminalized by the Roman government. And therefore they were subject to being imprisoned and to having their goods taken. And what is, what is the right response? And it isn't. Well, I'm glad that's not me. Sucks to be you. Remember them that are in bonds as if you were in bonds with them. How can we help those in bonds? What can we do to help? And in fact, in verse number 23 of Hebrews chapter 13, Timothy had been put in prison. We didn't know that, did we? We didn't know that anywhere. We knew that Paul went to jail, but we never knew that Timothy went to jail, but Timothy went to jail. And now he's been set free. So notice carefully the explanation that is given. Why should I do that? Why should I be willing to use my resources to help a brother that I don't even know who is in a distant place? Remember them that are in bonds. They are in prison. But you are not. But think about them as if it was you because you're in the same body. 
Only one body. We're in the same body. So that becomes our reference point. Right? My reference point is not, and Timothy will talk about this extensively, is not, I need this much for me, and the more that I can get, the more that I can have for me. The reference point is, how can I use what God has given to me to help the family? And some of that family, I don't know. And some of that family is sometimes really struggling. Right? Later on in October, we have one of our missionaries who is a missionary to the Ukraine who's going to come and talk to us about the work that he's doing, what it looks like in light of the Ukrainian invasion and, or the invasion of Ukraine. And we've sent some help. And I, I, I suspect that this will be an opportunity for us to send more. Remember them that are in bonds, as in bonds with them. We're not in the Ukraine. Nobody is lobbing shells on our house. But if they're believers, we're in the family. What does reverential, godly service look like in the face of a God who is a consuming fire, who is offering to us an unshaken kingdom? It looks like that. It looks like that. And it looks like this. Verse number four. Marriage is honorable in all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. What does reverential service look like? It looks like faithfulness to God's institution of marriage, which may just seem to be completely outside the scope of what we're talking about. But again, folks, right? Let's just let's just let our minds run wild for a moment. That the present trajectory of the radical left in America takes hold. And we find ourselves criminalized. And we find our rights removed and our protections eliminated. And we, to our great surprise, because the Constitution would never allow this, but here we are, we are refugees. Do you suppose that might have any impact on the way we would think about marriage? I still remember when my father, who professed to be a believer, but certainly never lived like a believer, found out that we were going to have our very first child, and his response was simply this. Why would you bring children into a world like this? I don't know that 40 years ago I had the best answer, but I have the best answer today because the only hope for the world is for God's people to have children that they evangelize. They're part of the solution, not part of the problem. And again, folks, if we look at this and go, I just don't really know why anybody would talk about that here. We do want to remember that the Bible talks about it, and the Bible talks about it as something 
that was a very big deal in biblical writers' days. Right? In, in which the world went, tended to go to one of two extremes. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about one extreme. You can't get married. God doesn't want anybody to get married. And the other extreme seems to be mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 4 through 7 in which no desirable person is off limits to you. Have who you'd like. So we have this instruction, which in your King James Bible, and again, I'm not going to get into all the debate because I couldn't resolve the, the debate on the, any of the information that I have. It reads like a statement of fact. Marriage is honorable in all, but most likely it is continuing on in the instruction admonition phase. In other words, right, what you have, verse number one. Let brotherly love continue. Keep it going. Number two, put your minds to remembering other people. Number three, don't let this get away from you. Marriage is an honorable institution. It has every honor. It is of the highest possible value. And therefore... Whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Whoremongers are those whose sexual immorality goes outside the bonds of marriage, and adulterers are those whose sexual immorality occurs inside the bonds of marriage. So you can dishonor marriage by refusing to make one, given the opportunity, and you can dishonor marriage by violating your marriage vows. And then we ask, well, when will God judge this? And probably the idea is the future is in mind because our God is a consuming fire. But what does reverential service look like? We come back to this. What does holding my profession mean? God keeps telling me to hold my fast my profession. He keeps telling me that Christ has secured for me an eternal salvation. He keeps telling me that Christ has done everything that needs to be done. He, keeps tell, he tells me to serve him with reverence and godly fear. What does that look like? And here are some of the things. Again, we might think of them as things, but not those kinds of things. But they are those kinds of things. Love the people of the Lord that you know. Do what is good for them. Pray for them. Seek to maintain peaceful relationships with them. Seek to love those who are believers that you don't know. Help those who are really being pressed and stretched because of their commitment to the faith. Help in the advancing of the faith. Honor marriage. This should not come as surprising to any of us, folks, in light of the way that the institution of marriage is literally collapsing around the American economy. Remember, folks, 2000, was it 2015 or 2016? And all they wanted, they said, all we want 
is for homosexuals to be able to be married and have the same rights as straight people when they get married. Now we're seven years down the road, and you know what? They lied to us because that's not all they want. Now they want to encourage our five-year-olds to change their gender. Now they want to make it illegal for a parent to interfere with their child's gender identity. Now they want to defend all forms of godlessness as their right. Marriage is honorable in all. This is a way to serve the Lord reverentially. Value your marriage. Value your spouse. Treat them biblically. Well, they, but, but they, stop. You can't control what they do. Control what you do. Do what you're told. Because of who told you to do it and because of what you're working towards. Remember, we are approaching a city and a kingdom. And finally, verses 5 and 6. We serve God reverentially and fearfully, a way that is acceptable to Him by not being controlled by the love of money. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. And here's the context. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Because remember in chapter 10, they had already had their goods taken. I will not fear what man shall do to me. Live without being a money lover. That's the instruction. Live without being a money lover. Be content. And we'll see this because we will give much time to this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Do not sacrifice your spiritual life for the sake of your financial life. Just don't do it. Resist it at every opportunity. Not when you work. Not where you work. Not the kind of work that you do. Don't sacrifice your spiritual life for your financial life. And the explanation behind that, folks, is twofold. The first is this. You need not rely upon the money that you have or that you can count. God has said, I will not leave you. I'm not going anywhere. He doesn't hang out with the rich kids. And secondly, folks, so that you can say this, right? Because what are we supposed to be doing? Holding fast our profession. <clears throat> so that you may boldly say, so that you may say with confidence is the idea. The Lord is my helper. 
I'm not going to throw my spiritual life on the altar for more money and more prestige and a better job. The Lord takes care of me. The Lord is my helper. I have my eyes on a kingdom that is yet to come. And it may be that what he has in mind, I will not fear what man can do to me, is the idea, right, that we can save enough or hoard enough to be immune to any of the pressures that come from any outside source. So again, folks, in conclusion, what does reverential, acceptable service look like? Well, it does look like faithful church attendance. It really does. And it does look like involvement in a local church, which includes things like teaching in Sunday school and singing in the choir and working in the nursery and participating in outreach. And it does all of those things. But it primarily looks like this, loving God's people. Doing those things that are best and helpful and beneficial to the people of the Lord. Even if those people are strangers to you, if they're advancing the cause of Christ or if they're suffering for the cause of Christ, help them. Honor your marriage. Honor your marriage. Make it a resolution that you will live in your marriage not to the satisfaction of yourself or even the satisfaction of your spouse, but the satisfaction of God. Be content with what God has given you. And look, folks, we're, we're Americans. Most of us are fair, not, we're not rich, but most of us are rich as anybody in the world. There's, you know, for all the bemoaning of what's going on in America, there are still more people lined up to get in our borders than out of them. Don't sacrifice your spiritual life or your financial life. Let's pray this morning. <clears throat> Father, this kingdom is coming.